The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is intended to be an introduction to who the heck we are. So each of us goes kind of in-depth into telling you the story of our childhood up to the present day, at least up to the time of this recording. I'm Sienna. And I'm Toast. We've been partners in life, love, and music since 2001. And we believe life is best lived as a love story. Your love story. After all, to love well is to live well. For more, check out SiennaandToast.com. But for now, here's this episode. Here's this episode. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the clubhouse. It, you know, that makes me think of, uh, you know those TV shows you used to watch as a kid? Where it's like the kids' fun clubhouse. Welcome to the treehouse, like that kind of no, show. I you don't? No, no. Okay, there was a show like that called Checkers and Pogo in Hawaii. Oh yeah, I remember you know, that. Kind of like that, you know? Okay. Like, hey kids, <laughs> then maybe we should re-record it. <laughs> <laughs> right. We try to keep it wholesome <clears throat> and uplifting, and full of old school decency here on this podcast. While still keeping it real. You can, there's a way to do that. You can be real and still stay decent. Yeah, but I don't know if we have to be wholesome. I guess how you, I guess, how do you define that? Right. Okay. We're getting. All right. Okay. <laughs> so thank you for joining us All right, today. Kids. And hope you had a wonderful Valentine's Day. We had a very nice Valentine's Day. Complete with multicolored roses. Two dozen roses, two dozen beautiful roses. We had champagne and chocolate and all the usual Valentine's Day things. Um, We had intended to try a Japanese restaurant new to us for Valentine's Day. But then I realized, why are we going out on Valentine's Day evening? Like, forget it. I don't want to be in crowds. Right. Apparently we value... In a crowded rush, you know, crowded place. Like, why does it have to be on... Like, it doesn't have to be on the day. Right. So we had a nice Valentine's Day (laughs) lunch uh, at an Indian food buffet. First time we tried it. We haven't had Indian food in a long time. Yeah. So that was nice. I love Indian food. Oh, my God. But, you know, I have to tell you my favorite part of the day, though that I think is so funny is how we 
finally opened that bottle of champagne that we first got. Oh, for you first one. You got it. I think it was, was it Thanksgiving? I don't remember exactly. It was just like. It was before Thanksgiving, okay. actually. See, these holidays. Because Thanksgiving, we went over oh, to Jen right. and Lara's, right? That's right. And they had their own. That's right. Wines there. Yeah. So we had it before. I think <laughs> we, it was we had, maybe my birthday. Oh, no. That long? It might have been my birthday. Oh, my God. Well, all I know is we had that bottle of champagne sitting in our refrigerator for months on end. And holidays would come and go with with both of us saying, oh, oh, we, we can have the champagne for Christmas. And then we wouldn't for whatever. We would you know, forget. We just forget. Oh, New Year's. Oh, oh, we can have the champagne for New Year's. We forgot. Oh, my God. Finally. On Valentine's Day. Okay. We yes. opened it. Yes. So... I will say that, first of all, Toast is not even really a drinker. The The drink that she has had the most affinity for is a nice gin and tonic. That's the drink that you're like, mm, yes. this is really good. Yes. Refreshing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, I actually love, I love champagne. I think champagne is awesome. I just have known about that bottle in the fridge and have felt like, okay, once we open it, it's done. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to drink all of it, <laughs> which I don't love it that much that I would drink the right. whole You're not thing. That kind of drinker. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been on the fence about opening it, and but we finally did. Mm-hmm. And now, honestly, we have either had champagne at friends' houses where they are opening the bottle. Mm-hmm. We've, we've had champagne at events where it is being served to us, mm-hmm. but... As far as just the two of us being home, opening a bottle of champagne, that has actually never happened. It may have happened once before because champagne I remember. Wine. I know you've opened wine Maybe for us. Maybe it was wine. You have but opened see, wine, we, not we, champagne. We rarely drink wine on too. our own. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Really rarely. Once right. a year, maybe. Right. Well, I do have a memory of I like going... drinking with people. I mean, you're a person. <laughs> But you know, well, it's, I, it's not, it's wasted on us, like a full bottle. Yes, exactly. We need those baby, you know, now they have baby bottles yes. of wine. Yeah. So we need the baby bottle of wine. But I do have a memory of taking a bottle of some kind of fancy alcohol thing into the backyard of one of our houses so that I could open it in case I made a mess, so, which makes me think that it had to have been a bottle of champagne. Oh, the that kind was that goes, with Pop, you know, Faith and Nolan. Maybe. I don't know. I think it was them. Maybe you did, but... I don't know. But so anyway. we we looked it up on YouTube. How to don't open feel bad a for bottle us. of champagne. <laughs> and I just wish we were videotaping it because it was hilarious. There's Toast trying to open it. I'm I'm micromanaging onto the side. <laughs> She's like, no, twist the bottle. The video says to twist the bottle. And, and grab it towards you. Grab it. <laughs> but we did it. We didn't scare Bear. There were no injuries. All the champagne stayed in the bottle. We were fine. We drank it. Yeah. It was good. It was good, but I prefer the yellow label. Yeah, the non-rose yes. one, right? Okay. So hope we hope you had a great Valentine's Day. Love is love. Every day is good for celebrating love. I think it's actually rosé. <laughs> Not that it matters. You're probably right. Yes. Not that it matters. Yes. Well, the so, label was pink. Yeah. 
the color of rose. The pink label. No, the yellow. Oh, the yellow label. <laughs> Not the rose label. Oh my God, those are dad jokes. I think <laughs> that's how I am. <laughs> I'm okay with that. It's okay. All right. It's okay to be a dyke and have dad jokes. Have dad jokes, yeah. You know, it's okay. Love is love. All right. <laughs> okay, so this episode is all about just us being able to do you the courtesy of basically introducing ourselves so that you know where we're coming from. We've had some new listeners along the way, and so not everyone um, has been a listener from the early days where uh, you've you've kept up with our stories, and not everyone has listened since 2007. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what I realized? I what? realized that we actually started doing the podcast before that. Oh, my God. It was before 2007. What? But as far as doing a regular podcast, that's when we started. Okay, I didn't know. So we have some older archives. Jeez. But anyhow, so this is an episode to just basically give an overview. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, most of you know bits and pieces of our story. We're going to try our best to summarize (laughs) if possible. But what we hope is that. Maybe you hear a little bit of your story in our stories, mm-hmm. um, because we all share so much more in common than we think. Yes. So, Toast, why don't you go ahead and start? Oh, I'm starting. Yes, okay. you are starting. I thought You're it was, on. I thought You're because on. it's Sienna and Toast, I thought Sienna was going first, but no. Okay. So, here we go. Here we go. I was born and raised in a town called Hilo on the island of Hawaii, which is part of the state and archipelago of Hawaii. Oh my gosh. This is going to (laughs) take... You didn't know I was starting there. Oh boy. No, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not going to take a... Keep it snappy. Okay. But I think that will give people context. Both of us were born and raised in Hawaii. I was the country mouse. Hilo is the largest city on that island, but still, it's, it's still considered, you know, country when it's compared to... Honolulu, the big capital. I'm a city mouse. Sienna's the city mouse. (laughs) But anyway, um, I am the third and a half generation uh, Japanese American. So I, that's all I am on my birth certificate is Japanese. 23andMe says a little differently, but I'm Japanese American. And that might give you some context, those of you who know and are familiar with the culture, for how my childhood was one where I was raised to be and I delivered. I was a good student. I followed all the rules, you know. Um, I took pride in being responsible, doing my chores, doing my homework, taking the tests. You're a good Asian person. Yes, good Japanese-American girl. Except I was gay, but that's later, coming later in the story. (laughs) So I was also raised as an evangelical Christian because although both of my parents had been raised as most 
Japanese Americans were at the time, raised in the Buddhist tradition. Um, my parents actually converted to being born-again Christians shortly after I was born. So by the time I was able to form any, you know, memories of my own, the only life I had known was going to Sunday school on Sundays. And my parents even hosted a weekly Bible study for many, many years. Um, so I, looking back, I feel like I grew up in this cocoon of ignorant bliss, mm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm st- that might sound like I have a problem with it, but I actually am so grateful for it. I feel like I was raised with um, a lot of structure in in family mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were, were super responsible, and looking back, I was like, "Oh my gosh, you know, I have so much more appreciation for for what they provided for us." Yeah, it was very. It was a. They're so responsible. It, yeah, so it just felt so in all good ways stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like I, I had complete confidence that me and my brother it it was just me and my brother Mm -hmm. um again very japanese right very few children (laughs) just one boy one girl perfect (laughs) um but we had and he's younger yeah two years younger he's a couple years younger but we had complete confidence that we would be provided for Mm -hmm. taken care of um there wasn't a lot of physical demonstrations of affection and love again very japanese asian american you know things were kind of stoic but there was a sense of duty and responsibility and coming through and but fulfilling they said, that. But they said, I love you. I, I think they did. But honestly, yeah. to, be, to be really honest, I don't remember that being something that we all said to each other at all. But in cards. Maybe in cards. Yeah. Maybe in greeting cards. So in, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, tons of structure also, too, with the church that, that we attended regularly. Hilo Missionary Church. You know, um, I was in the youth group. I played, I think I played a shepherd in one of the uh, the Christmas pageants mm-hmm. one time. I was also an angel, right, another time, of course. Um, I played in the worship team. I played guitar. Another, another time I played bass. I helped lead the singing at the youth group uh, gatherings for Bible study and things like that. There was an annual uh, spring break, or was it summer? Spring break uh, retreat that all of the young people went to to you know do their Christian thing. Same thing when we, I was even younger. There was a five day Bible school or vacation Bible school, I think it was called. All very uh, regimented. Again, I would call this as a kind of cocoon of ignorant bliss because the. The world view that I was handed down of like, this is how the world works and how it should work. Um, While on one hand, I'm so grateful for it and I still hold to valuing things like character and personal integrity and the virtues of kindness and love and all of that. At the same time, what it also included was the Bible is the literal word of God, and this is the only way to be saved. And 
we don't talk about gay people because they're an abomination. The Bible says so. So we're not. Even, we don't even talk about it. You never heard us talk about it. We're going like, to ignore did you see, it. We are scared of it. Did you see gay people in oh, your I'm church? Sure, I did. But and people well, would I say, saw myself. "Oh, okay, okay." <laughs> you know, not that you can remember, right? Not. I mean, a yeah, lot of I people don't... in Hilo look gay, but they're not there gay. We go. Yeah, <laughs> it's the fashion. <laughs> Hilo fashion. Okay. That's a Hilo joke. Anyways. The Hawaii, for the Hawaii people. Um, okay. Yeah, so hopefully that gives an idea of, you know, mm. my, my childhood, that ignorant, the cocoon of ignorant bliss. But, you know, because... So on one hand, it was fantastic. But yes. be- because of that, I think, mm-hmm. and that structure that you talked about, mm-hmm. I remember that when we met, and maybe a few months after we started to email and talk Oh, after more. you and I first met. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I remember one of the things I said to you was, you must have had really good parents. Hmm. Do you remember when I said that to I you? I kind of do. I kind of do. But I think they it went really over my head. They raised you well. I think I said they raised you really well. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I think, sorry, one more thing about that time period of my life, looking back, is, and I think this was reflected in how my parents were so involved in church. Mm-hmm. But they were involved in other community things and remain so to this day. And I think that's another very, very positive thing. But the Lions Club, mm. you know, the Rotary Club, community community involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was super active in local politics. He actually held elected office for a number of years. And um, so campaigning and all that kind of stuff. So I grew up with this this ethos of being involved with your community, mm. you know, community life. And I think that's also true of just smaller towns in general, because that that's what you have going on there, right? It, it's not a, mm-hmm. it's not a um, mass media kind of society when you're growing up in a relatively smaller place. So anyway, that, that was my childhood. The next phase of my life I would describe as more rebellious scholar because at the time of my very, very young adulthood, like late high school, early college, was when I started to pierce that cocoon of ignorant bliss and realize, I think I'm gay. Hmm. And I know that gay means something more than happy now. I forget how I even, I even learned that, honestly. But I, I learned somehow. Maybe it was Katie Lang. Maybe it was Katie Lang on the cover of some magazine. I know, because we have to also share with the listeners that back then, there was no Google. That's right. You couldn't just Google it. <laughs> there was no internet, no email. Mm. Um, or email was just becoming... Starting, yeah, yeah, starting. It was Hotmail and AOL. Oh my God, right? People, okay. if you still have AOL, some people do, you know? I know. <laughs> <laughs> the millennials will not know what we're talking about. Okay, anyways, go ahead. Okay, so this this was when my eyes were open and gaydar became a thing. And I was like, whoa, there's this whole nother world and this whole nother reality to the world that I now have insight into 
Mm. There's there's stuff that <clears throat> I have been looking at my entire life, but only now am I realizing what I'm actually seeing. Mm. It's the world of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer. It's mm-hmm. this non-binary mm-hmm. world. The the world is deeper and richer and more interesting and more textured and there's different ways to interpret things than I than I even knew about. And so I took my good student nature and my love of learning, I have a genuine love of learning and because there wasn't the internet, I went to the library. And I tried to educate myself about the history and development of Christianity and how the Bible is interpreted and how scholars look at it, how historians look at it. What does it really say about, quote unquote, homosexuality? What were the cultural and normal um, practices during the time that the Bible is written in, blah, blah, blah. Also, the history of civil rights and the history of social norms, how women were not able to vote until, you know, like after Susan B. Anthony died. So I I took that time, the rebel scholar time, and I really honestly, I think I got pretty angry. I read Howard Zinn's book, A People's History of the United States, which uh, sh- shines a light on how it's the winners in history that write the history. And so people like women, like the common person, um, minorities who are discriminated against, they get written out of history. Same thing with quote unquote homosexuals. So during this time, I was putting together in my mind of how the values taught by Jesus of it's the least among you, you know, to, to protect those people, the values, the, the values at the essence of what I was taught Mm. in Sunday school. Um, I could see playing out through history. And, um, so I think that's what contributed to my frustration, my sense of anger, my sense of rebelliousness, my sense of wanting to fight for the underdog. And, um, during this time I was introduced to the music of Ani DeFranco, Mm. Who blew me away and still does. She is amazing um, because she was a protest singer. She was singing about the types of issues and things that that concerned this all this topic. Um, but yeah, I got really pissed off. <laughs> I channeled my energy into one of the most memorable things for me was working on the campaign in Hawaii against what was called Constitutional Amendment 2. And basically, this was the first constitutional amendment that ended up being adopted, unfortunately, in the United States that specifically targeted same-sex partnerships. Um, so I worked on the campaign against it because I thought it was wrong. We stood on street corners. We waved signs. I went to the headquarters. I made phone calls. That's in Hawaii, yeah? Yes, yes. Um, okay, so let me go back to my notes. So that was the rebel scholar time. Um, and you know, looking back on it, maybe I'm like, hmm, I only just thought of this now. This was a period in my life where my car was broken into, I started riding a bicycle, my bike got stolen. 
Mm. Like I, I was, um, a guy that I worked for actually took my paycheck and ran. I took him to small claims court, but this was like, I was living this chaos, life huh? of like, yeah. And yeah. now I'm wondering, hmm, I wonder if it had to do with the fact that I was just freaking pissed off. But anyway, okay. So out of that I time think, period. Yeah, I think it probably did. Maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But out of that time period, I slowly, I mean, and this is over the course of years and years, right? Over that time period, I slowly emerged into a period of trying to integrate everything that I had learned, self-educated about from religion and spirituality to the history of civil rights and come up with or create or land on a way of being a way of seeing the world and reality in a spiritual way that honored and respected and had internal integrity, mm. internal coherence. Because on, while on one hand, I was able to completely destroy the claims made by institutional Christianity um, based on science, based on logic, right, I, based on history, on the other hand, I was still very committed to the true, what I think are the true ideals of Christianity. And I wanted to have a way to, to honor that mm-hmm. while also honoring all the other religions that have that at their, as their core, while also honoring science, while yeah. also honoring uh, logic. Yeah. You know, and so I, I <clears throat> took a number of years, over a decade, um, to congeal all of those things to finally, I can say to some degree, I have, I do have now a spiritual framework that respects and has internal coherence with all of those things that, that demand my respect. Mm. Um, and that's where I feel like I am today. I can take a deep breath. I'm less angry. Yes. You're very kind. <laughs> My kindness You're very has returned. kind to be around. My kindness has returned. And, and, and I kind of feel like I'm almost starting that whole cycle over again mm. of instead of being in a cocoon of ignorant bliss, yeah. I feel like I'm opening myself up again to be in a cocoon of beloved strength. Mm. A strength that, that, is broad, that is based on a broader foundation. Yeah. Then this this you know institutionalized uh, Christianity kind of thing, mm. and it's amazing to look back on even the progress of uh, marriage equality, for example. Yeah, because at that time, I'll, this would be the last thing I'll say. At that time, I think that vote took place in 1998 in Hawaii. That campaign that I was really active in. Um, and I remember my dad at that time telling me, I think it was on a phone call, he said, you know you guys are going to lose, right? And, and I told him, yeah. But if we don't fight for it now, we're never going to get it. Mm. And so we fun- <clears throat> when, I'm getting all emotional. And so when we finally did 
realize marriage equality years later, mm-hmm. I knew it was because partly of the work of being willing to fight and lose, mm-hmm. which is also very Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like kamikaze time. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to. I'm gonna go around. But see, you could but show. I'm go around. But you could show emotion, and that's very non-Japanese. I guess so. Yeah. Right. In a way. So you're yeah. in a way. Excellent in a way. balance. Yes. <laughs> Japanese American. Yes. Okay. Oh, but okay. So so, I don't know if I had said that was the last thing I was gonna say. But if I did um, say it, it I think was you a said lie that earlier. Yeah, it was a lie because I have one more thing. Okay. <laughs> Because I think it's important to to also share that um, and make clear that I, as well as Sienna, as my partner, um, are on very good terms with my dad, with my parents, and I'm I'm so grateful for that mm-hmm. because they're still totally Christian. Mm-hmm. Now we I'm as involved as ever. Yeah, and yeah. but believe me, we also don't spend hours on the phone talking about it. So I don't know the specifics of their stance and everything like that. Yeah. Um, I do know, because I did ask my dad one time, oh, do you think I'm going to hell? And he said, no. He said, you're not going to have a crown, but you're going to yeah, be saved. So I'm like, that. so I'm like, you know, that's all I care about because <laughs> I care. I care. Like if they thought I was going to hell, that would be really distressing for them. You know, mm. I don't want them to live under that belief. So anyway, we're on good terms and I feel good enough terms, I should say. And I think it's a fantastic thing that we we don't have to agree in order to have respect for each other. Yeah, And I think true. that's the thing that has, has been missing in our larger life as a society, mm-hmm. right? The idea of mutual toleration, mutual respect, even mm-hmm. if you don't agree you can at least agree to disagree. <coughs> but I don't get the crown thing. That's an evangelical Christian thing. I didn't even know I think you were it, given crowns. I think it has to do in, with stuff in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Okay. That concludes the overview of Toast's story. <laughs> For now. Up to now. Okay, so we're going to switch the camera. We're going to swing the camera around and the microphone around to point to Sienna and, and her story, which oh, is very different. Right. Yes. I think in ways we couldn't be more different in our upbringing. Yeah. So I was raised by my grandparents and... I am, okay, I'm trying to copy, like, you did it so organized. Did I? <laughs> you shared your story I in such an know. organized way. I'm like, oh, wait. I yeah. And and even the way we tell our stories kind of says a little bit about how we are. <laughs> right, because right. Tos is very organized. And mm. she really processes internally and then shares from there. Okay. Where I process externally and I'm sharing the whole time. So, okay, right, right. Yeah. So that's how we are. But see, okay. I think that but I think that's great. I think that's why we make a good 
team because otherwise it would just be very monotonous. And, and, okay, and, anyway. Right? All right. So feel so, free to just. Well, tell I, if it, I remember sister. how you said it, then I will try and copy your format. No, or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was uh, born and raised on the island of Oahu in Honolulu, but I did spend part of my childhood, very, very, very early childhood um, in Hilo, but was ultimately raised in Honolulu by my grandparents. My mom and dad were teenage parents, and I have a brother that's uh, two years older. So they were teenage parents, and my mom actually was going through a whole bunch of things, and she left my brother and I, I was um, about one at the time. She left us when we were really young. And so then we were raised by primarily by my grandparents. By your dad's parents. Yes. And yeah. my dad and my mom, they divorced, eventually divorced. And both of them live in Hilo. And both of them have since remarried. And they both had more kids. So I actually have six brothers, six brothers in total, and one sister. So I come from a very big extended family where Toast has a much smaller family. Mm -hmm. um, I am Japanese, Okinawan, Filipino, Chinese, Spanish, and then a whole bunch of other things according to 23andMe. <laughs> <laughs> but I was raised primarily on my Filipino, Chinese, Spanish side. Um, I, my grandparents uh, raised me in an environment that was very unstructured. It was unstructured in the sense that you kind of just did your own thing. We really didn't have many rules um, except... Yes. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Like you, you guys didn't have chores or like... No. Right. We didn't have to like do... Bedtime. Nope. Or... Nope. Yeah. So opposite. <clears throat> yeah. There was no, no there was no structure in that way. Except when it came to how you presented yourself. So to other people yeah. outside the family. Yeah. You had to have, you had to wear nice clothes. You had to look, you know, you had to really take care of your grooming mm. and all of that stuff. Um, I pretty much got whatever I wanted materially. Mm. I didn't have to earn it. Um, they were just there handing so, things out. So you didn't have, so you didn't get an allowance? Nope. Okay. It was more just, hey, if, if you want something, if just you ask it, for you it. get it. Yeah. And then, yeah. Okay. It'll be given. There was kind of this idea that, you know, I grew up thinking like, oh, money must grow on trees, mm. but money does not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I learned that later, but they pretty much just. Yeah, just provided whatever my brother and I wanted. And in a way, that's how they showed love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was no affection, hugs, I love yous, uh, not even in cards, nothing like that. It was just, we're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of your material needs. All you have to do is show up well for us, mm. dress well, present well. Um, pigeon was totally, you could not speak pigeon in the house. Mm. Um, oh, and you have to explain what pigeon is well, for people you, who might not you know. you explain pigeon? Pigeon English. So pigeon is what 
the local people in Hawaii talk like that. It's a it's a form of English that incorporates words from Hawaiian and Japanese and Filipino, and it's a result of all of the immigrants to Hawaii mm. way way back over the yeah, course absolutely. of a hundred years. Yeah, so that so was it, not allowed. It's kind of like you know, it's kind of like the the super casual, very super casual way of speaking. It's not uh, considered high class at all. <laughs> <laughs> And um, so that's pretty much the the temperature that I was mm. raised in. Um, something that I really loved about being raised by my grandparents is that because the family was so large, um, there were a lot of celebrations. Anytime there was, you know, a reason, there was a big family dinner with all the food and just the celebratory nature. Uh, was just really infused in me so early and I love that Hmm. Um, it's making the lumpia I think that's where I got that yeah that's where I kind of have that now Um, also I really appreciate the the one structured area of um, ritual and prayer Hmm. Um, Catholicism is very structured in its rituals and and so being raised Catholic, I remember having an affinity for that part of it, mm-hmm. the, the, how the churches are so ornate, mm-hmm. the, um, just the certain rituals of like confession and, and things like that. There were, there were just beautiful things about the religion that I loved. There was also a whole bunch of stuff I didn't, but um, I'm not a practicing Catholic, but I do feel that being raised in that um, gave me a sense of um, just a love for that, Mm -hmm. you know, that ritual that later I would create my own, Ah, you know, when I was a teenager, I would create my own um, ritual. Beautiful. Yeah. So I love all of that part. Um, my, I, I was a really artistic kind of kid. I spent a lot of time alone. Um, I liked being alone. I loved animals from day one. Loved them. I would even, I even got uh, attacked by a German shepherd <laughs> right. when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. Like I think I was four, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's so cute. And he, he, um, or I'm sorry, she, she. Uh, just lunged at me I and bit me all down like by my side of my body and oh my of God. course I was screaming but the next day I'm there like I just I just loved animals like I'm really grateful that that didn't um, deter me from you know like oh now I'm afraid of dogs yeah that's really you know that's really actually pretty fascinating because it goes directly against everything that yeah. You know, conventional wisdom about psychology and all that yeah. tells us. Right. Right? Yeah. So there's always an exception. <clears throat> and my great-grandma used to have, um, she used to take care of um, a colony of cats that were in her yard. <laughs> and back then, you know, there's no spay-neuter programs. Right. <laughs> right? So they right. just grow and grow and grow. And I used to love with, um, you know, I'd be there like four or five years old standing on a high stool 
um, with my one of my aunts mixing the um, Purina cat chow and Figaro cat tuna. And this is so gross, but my aunt would have her beautiful jewelry on her, like her rings or diamond rings and things. And she would mix it with her hands. Oh, my God. And add water. Oh, my and, gosh. And she would go, and don't forget, the last part is you have to mix in the love. So she'd be mixing in the love. And then we would put all the, we would put the cat food on little styrofoam meat trays. And then with the crisscross yes. on the bottom. Yes. And then we'd bring them outside. And then I would just be crouching down amidst a sea of all these cats around me, mm. you know, just eating their food. And I just loved it. Mm. I loved animals. So anyways, um, and thank God for the animals because my part of my story is I was also sexually abused beginning at the age of two and a half. And I didn't remember that I was being abused until I was 13. Mm. And an incident happened when I was 13 that made me, it sort of woke me up and I went, oh my God, mm. I was being abused since I was much younger. Um, and then a whole bunch of other me memories flooded to me. But I do remember, one of the memories is um, being very, very young and telling people about it in, in the words that I could, yeah. you know, in how I understood it. And, you know, when there's illness in the family, um, meaning that kind of denial and dysfunction. Yes. Yeah. You know, dysfunction. Yeah. So, so with that dysfunction, it's like no one could hear me, Yeah, hear what I was saying. Yeah. Right. You, in order to keep the dysfunction alive, you go along with it. Mm. Um, so, so very early on. Uh, a wound that was created is that my voice is not heard. My voice doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And that would then dictate what I chose to do and what I chose to study and how I chose to be in the world. Um, but I can see now that all of that abuse um, and, you know, not have any structure, like I, I ran away a couple of times. Um, I mean, so much, so much chaos that, but no one would really know that from the outside mm -hmm. because I still upheld that good student, good student. I got straight A's. Um, actually I was an AP student, you know, in high school. I went, I ended up going to a Catholic school because that's you know, when you're running away and doing doing all things like that, they my grandparents wanted more structure around me, so I went to a Catholic school, um, and I'm so grateful for that. In the beginning, I resented it, mm -hmm. but I'm so grateful for it because I there was a lot of healing when I realized that I thought I was gay and that there were so many gay other gay women. <coughs> in my class. So that was very validating. Yeah. And I think we need to take just pause right now mm -hmm. and put a little rectangle of a sidebar here <laughs> to assure listeners who may be hearing this for the first time about your story mm -hmm. that they heard correctly. 
Okay. That you are grateful for having been sent to an all-girls Catholic high school. Yes. Why? Because so many of your classmates were lesbians. Yes. Let that sink in. (laughs) That's why the gratitude, because there were so many fellow lesbian students Mm -hmm. at this girls' Catholic high school. So gratitude for being sent there. Yes. You Who know, would have thought? I'm also grateful too because my I had a lot of gay people in my family. Right. That that's right. You know, that's you right. didn't talk yeah. about it, but but you it was knew, accepted. It was understood. People, yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. they the the partners were invited to the parties, the celebrations, all that stuff. It was auntie so and so and auntie so and so. There was uncle and uncle. It was like it was. There were so many. You know, so nature was just like very abundant that gene was active for gayness in in my family yeah um but yes having the i remember um starting starting to have gay experiences very very young like 13 or so Mm -hmm. and realizing i knew it was wrong in terms of what catholicism taught okay But I also felt, you know, I mean, I was like just this really artsy kid, right? Mm -hmm. So I did have this feeling that, and because it wasn't structured. Okay. I just kind of did what I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it, kind of a thing. (laughs) So I, I do remember having this conversation, I guess, with God. And I said, okay, if this is wrong, then why does it feel right? Mm hmm um, and if it is wrong, then you make it go away. Mm. In other words, like I'm willing to be different. Yeah. Like if, if you it wanna... is wrong, I'm giving yeah. you the opportunity now yeah. to remove this from my path. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then if you don't, then it's not wrong yeah. because all I can trust is how I feel mm. and my feelings can't be wrong. Your feelings cannot be a wrong feeling mm. coming from an artsy kid. Right. I see. So... God didn't take it away. Mm-hmm. And I went, all right. Okay. And honestly, your last word. for me, that sounds so simplistic, but that was enough. I think what also probably helped is having the aunties and aunties. Oh, and the completely. uncles and uncles, right? It, it was absolutely. Yeah. It absolutely. wasn't like this hidden away. You shall never no. speak of it kind of situation in your case. No. Yeah. Not at all. No. So, so that's what happened. So, um, but, you know, having that that very deep wound early on about um, being violated and uh, that really created this, this need for me to maintain this outward appearance that things were okay, mm. even though I felt very flawed and I felt um, something was wrong with me. Um, it was hard to be vulnerable. I felt like I couldn't trust anybody. Uh, there was so much of that going on internally. So I just, I just really poured all of myself into creating an outward type of success Mm. to try and bypass, I guess, um, having to do the inner work Mm. and also to function. Yeah. You know, just to function because, Mm. um, 
Right. So mm-hmm. in high school, as I mentioned before, so I was an AP student. You know, um, I got a lot of awards in high school. Um, my school wanted me to to be the rep. They wanted to pay and, you know, what is it, sponsor, sponsor me, I guess, I guess, to be the Miss Teen Hawaii um, contestant. To represent your school at represent that. Represent my school. Yeah. Um, my, I had a lot of teachers that were really invested in my education, and they were there ready to groom me for whatever colleges I wanted to, to go to. But I got to tell you, I didn't take advantage of any of that because I sort of felt like, okay, here, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to, I'm going to be on autopilot, do what everyone wants me to do. But after high school, I'm done. I'm, I'm done, you know, jumping through all these hoops and Mm. I just need to rest. Mm. You know, it was like, it's, it's hard to perform at that level when so much is going on inside. Mm. And so, um, so anyways, I am very grateful that part of my senior year, uh, part of, of, of what we had to do in our senior year of high school was to all sit together and apply for UH. University of Hawaii. If I hadn't done that after high school, I would not have had a college to go to because I wasn't intending to go to college. Um, anyways, went to college and everything started to come up again about the abuse. I wanted to be that voice, you know, again, with that wound of my voice doesn't matter. I wanted my voice to be heard. I wanted to be the voice for anyone who was being violated, um, mistreated, um, kind of like the underdog, like what you were sharing. Okay. And yeah. maybe that's something common for us. Yes. True. Um, so that led me to study social work and later um, move on to law school um, you know, and again, it wasn't easy. Um, in law school, someone found out I was gay. Never, I never really had a problem with it before, but I became a target for some hate crimes. Um, when I was in law school, my car was vandalized. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff started coming up. And then it was through all of these disruptions, right, that don't allow you to operate an automatic pilot anymore. Um, through these disruptions, I realized that what I was reunited with music and through that, I realized another way to make my voice matter. Mm. You know, it didn't need to be through law. Um, I didn't need to be that voice. I again was, was an artsy child. And I think that when abuse happens, it messes with your um, second chakra, uh, which is all about boundaries and, and relationships and, um, and also your artistic expression. So I feel like that that part of me created a, a wound in that energy field of mine, energy vortex of mine. And so I ended up choosing things that were not very artistic, mm, you know, because... Yeah. On the opposite end of the spectrum, right? right? Like being a caseworker mm-hmm. and, and being a lawyer, being an attorney... So you're using a different part of your brain for all those things. And then, but thank God through uh, going to law school, I was reunited with music. And I realized for myself that opened up a whole part of me that needed healing. Um, And, and at that point I chose to have my voice heard through music. And just so that people understand how it happened. 
was music being introduced while you were in, enrolled in law school and mm -hmm. attending law school and doing very well at law school, mm -hmm. but it was super stressful. And so singing became a form of stress relief. It became like a break. My like friend took me self -care. to go singing. Yes. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, in the very beginning, I was just, I would just go and listen to her sing. Mm. I didn't really want to sing. Um, but thank God for the, for that time, because it really helped my body and my cells remember a part of me and literally your voice. Yes. And when I look back, I see how, you know, music was always a part of my life. It was like this thread, um, you know, and interesting, interestingly enough, my grandparents both, um, they played music. Music was always played in the house. Um, they were very good at, at, um, they were very good musicians. My dad is a musician and I remember moments with him when I was very young and he would be playing his guitar and singing to me. And in kindergarten, when I like hated being in school and because of some abandonment wounds early on, I didn't ever want my grandma to leave me there. So every morning I would cry. But thankfully for the teachers, music was a first class. So once they started music, that was the only thing where I would stop crying. Mm -hmm. And so I had just this deep connection with music. And um, thankfully for, for the the trickling of music throughout my life that I was able to um, kind of have my soul quenched in those moments, yeah. you know, um, to help me heal. And so today brings me to today. So having this podcast, you know, and continuing on the journey of having my voice matter, mm -hmm. having me matter, you know, us picking up our music again, having my voice heard through music in a creative expression, having that matter, you know, it's so important. You don't just healing is a lifelong journey. Yes. You know? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. you go through so, so many true. different things, yeah. but when you, after a certain point, you know, whether it's like a, a couple years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, you can always look back and find some dots to connect. Yes. You know, and when you take the time to do that, you really see the through lines that can help you to maybe choose the next thing for yourself, mm -hmm. you know, or and to, to, and to and to apprehend more of the significance, the of, significance of, of even why you've you've endured certain things. Yeah. yeah. And maybe what that was for. Right. And the function, you know, that certain experiences play in your I, life. Yeah, because. If I didn't have the abuse, and I'm not saying this was the only way that it could have happened as far as like... Right. Thank you. You yes. know? Yes. But that was in my cards. I It, it was put in my path mm -hmm. um, as part of my experiences. If I didn't have that, I wonder if I'd be the person I am today. You know, I'm really proud of how far I've come. Yes. And it's yeah. definitely not been an, an easy road. Right. But there have been wonderful rewards along the way for the risks that I've chosen to take. Mm -hmm. And I, I truly am so grateful for the obstacles because I think most people would simply see them as an obstacle. But for me, 
and as corny as it sounds, they really were opportunities to look deeper, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I spent so much of my life and it's create, it's almost created a habit, a good positive habit of looking inside, Mm. you know, having a situation. Yeah. And having a situation happen and never taking it at face value, Ah, you know, like not, not like, you know, beating it over the head, but like going, okay, this situation occurred. Um, Let's take a look at it, you know, Mm. not being afraid to look at it. You know, I've had to Mm. look at some deep stuff, you know. Um, So it's like, I'm just grateful for that and grateful that that has helped set me up in a way that when things don't happen how I would prefer them, I'm not afraid to look at it. Yeah. You know, and Mm. I'm I'm so grateful to to have cultivated that skill. Now, I wasn't obviously... As I mentioned, having gone through a lot of my um, formative years, you know, um, middle school, intermediate, high school, on this automatic pilot, um, you know, this habit wasn't cultivated till later. Mm -hmm. But still, I'm so grateful. I'm even grateful for the automatic pilot part of myself, (laughs) you know, that's able to go, okay, this has to get done. Let's get it done. Yeah. You know, and now, be, now being at a point in my life where I'm able to uh, just kind of uh, pick and choose the skill sets yes, that exactly. are required in any given moment. Right. You know, and going, okay, I can pull from this and let's do this. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. And I think all of this, like your story, my story, like... And anybody who's still listening and can relate in even a small way, mm-hmm. I think we can all agree that, you know, it, there's so much value and power in being able to step back and take in the entire story and take in the gifts that require the entire story. Mm-hmm. To have played out. Yes. You can't just... And it's still playing out. Right, exactly. You, you know? can't just yeah. isolate one thing and right. fo- focus and be narrow-minded and... Because and, there is nothing in reality that exists in isolation. Mm-hmm. Everything is connected and, mm-hmm. and we have to um, deal with it as such. Right? Yeah. We have to deal with the interconnectedness of all things. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So thank you so much for listening. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for listening. And we hope that this, the listening has felt like a kind of honoring of your own story. Mm -hmm. Because really at bottom, our goal with this podcast and with sharing is to honor and respect life. The life that you are showing up as right now. Yes. Okay. Ah, all righty. Let's well, all take a deep breath. Yeah. This is this is obviously <sighs> one of our longer, probably longest type of episodes, which is fine. We're going to do that once in a while, but we... Um, and probably not so fun. 
Well, this wasn't like for a the barrel listener. of monkeys or anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, that but would be fun. A barrel of monkeys? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like setting them free. Oh, yeah. That yeah, would be very free. Fun. Yeah, not keeping them in there. No. Where does yeah, that come tear from? Tear your head off. You know... Well, yeah, but gory that was, but you know, they really are like humans are such weaklings compared to all the other animals, physically speaking. Okay. Oh my gosh. We have to tell them what, what? Okay. Let's end on this note. Okay. 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 So the other day, Toast and I, we took a spontaneous walk and saw, I was so delighted because it was near a lake and this place is very close to our house. So we're like, wow, uh, maybe we can, you know, go here for just quick you know, nature fixes. So we went there. I just loved seeing all these beautiful ducks in this lake. Um, we hear the ducks at our house. Um, so it was just so fantastic. Anyways, there was this big mama and I was like, what is that? Is that a goose? And she was just so pretty, but giant. And she was in the water leading everyone. Everyone's following her. And then later on our walk back, I saw she wasn't in the water. She was on the side. She was on the banks now. She was on the... So so I, I got as close as I could to her because I'm like... You don't want to scare so her. Cute. Yeah, but I was trying to see if she would come up to me. Mm-hmm. Waddle, and, to waddle up to you. And I was making her sounds, copying her sounds mm-hmm. and everything. And she uh-huh. just... Yeah, she just <laughs> she was just looking at me and then cleaning herself. And, and I stayed there for quite a while, uh, but it was very uneventful. She didn't come up to me, but I did get to see her. I took some video, pictures, all that stuff. Anyways, on the way back to the car, we see a bulletin board. And there was a warning about aggressive geese and not to go up to them. Don't go up to the geese. So much for being a good student, right? Like reading, well, we yeah. didn't read the bulletin board before the way entering the no, nature I didn't even walk. see it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but then I thought, because before I was thinking like, wow, she didn't come up to me. I'm like an animal magnet, right? I'm okay. proud of my animal magnet self. Okay. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not birdie, right? <laughs> like I don't have enough bird vibe. So I'm like, oh, well, I tried. And then after reading that, I'm like, you know what? I did really well because she didn't attack me. Because she didn't. Beat she your didn't ass. come. Yeah, she didn't. <laughs> but I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, watch out for aggressive. I didn't geese. know that they can attack you, yeah, and you have to raise your arms. And up public and service yell. announcement: in case you encounter any aggressive geese that start to charge at yes. you. The recommended response yes. to avoid being hurt, raise your arms, is to raise your arms and make yourself look big mm-hmm. and yell, yell, yell at them. And it doesn't harm them. That's what it said. And just hope that they back down. <laughs> okay. See, you'll never know what kind of helpful information you'll get if you listen if you to stay the, until the end of episode. Right? Some uh, geese tips. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you again <laughs> for listening. Just a reminder, it's all about progress, not perfection. I would go so far as to say that progress is perfection. You can join our email list and contribute to keep supporting this podcast at our website, siennaandtoast.com. And until then, this is Sienna and this is Toast, inviting you, as always, to come live your love story.
That's how they were signing. Sounding. <laughs> Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.